HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit culinarycenter.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, Visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello, welcome to Japan Needs. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, a food writer and a director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deeper understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from a studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every deli and supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, and izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I'll try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. And my guest today is Brian Mathis, who is former head bartender at the three-star Michelin restaurant, Lubanadan, and brand ambassador for Great King Street and Compass Box Whiskeys. And he also works at Coke Buzz Wine Studio, a new American restaurant, The Gander, near Union Square. So hello and welcome to the show. Thank you, my pleasure. So uh, we'll talk about a lot about shoju today, but first, how did you get into the world of cocktails? Uh, well, at the time, I was actually working in, in finance, and I sort of got into cocktails on my own and uh it was something that became a little bit of a passion and then i started bartending uh initially a few nights a week and then made the switch full-time and uh so then yeah kind of fell down the rabbit hole after that <laughs> first with with cocktails and then many other things <laughs> oh that's a lucky thing to happen right and uh but you know you just uh, knocked on the door of a bar and then let me work because you had a uh, you know practice at home making cocktails so. yeah i mean new york you kind of you kind of have to hustle and, and try and get your way in, whether you start as a barback, which is which is sort of ideal because you can learn a lot of things that way, or you just sort of get lucky, which which happened with me and <clears throat> ended up initially at a Japanese restaurant where mm-hmm. I was for, for a few years. Mm-hmm. So that's where my, my love for sake and shochu came in. Right. There was uh, the, the sake ten in? Uh, izakaya ten. ten in Chelsea. Yes. Fair. Right. So, okay. And then um, eventually you worked at the Lubada then? Yeah, um, yeah. So I was... Uh, 
Another spot in between that, down in Tribeca, sort of more of a cocktail bar with a tasty menu. And then, uh, yeah, La Bernadette for two and a half years. Wow. Okay. So, um, so how did you become interested in shochu? So shochu, I mean, really, uh, obviously had, had had a little bit of experience with both sake and shochu before working uh, at the Japanese restaurant. But that, at Izakai Ten, was obviously being surrounded by it and serving it was something that I wanted to learn more about. Uh, and so largely, initially, it sort of started with sake and, and did a lot of stuff with that. And then uh, shochu, it just sort of came about because there wasn't, at the time, much information about it. Mm-hmm. So, so you got curious. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. And, but also, did you take courses to study shochu? So not shochu. Shochu's, uh, to my knowledge, there still really aren't courses available mm-hmm. uh, in, in English or in the U.S. There are a number in Japan. Right. Uh, for sake, however, there, there are some, some great opportunities. Uh, and I've, I have taken a couple of courses with John Gontner, mm-hmm. who I know you know right. very he's well. A, he's an American guy, but he spent the years, and then he became an authority of sake, even among Japanese people. Yeah, absolutely. Lives, lived in Japan, I think believe he's now back in Ohio for a little bit, but, uh, but you know, spends a tremendous amount of time still in Japan. He was in Japan for decades. Mm. So. so you went to Japan to take his courses? Yeah, yeah. So a couple times. Uh, great opportunity. He also comes to the U.S. and teaches uh, probably a few times a year in the States now. But mm. um, at the time when he, was, when he was still in Japan, he still does them in Japan as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, great opportunity because you go and you basically do a classroom study for a few days and then you go and travel mm. and uh, visit uh, a few different breweries with him. Right. And also you have a strong cultural influence. I use that to your wife, who is Japanese. Yes, yes, yes. So certainly a, uh, a great opportunity for me to go to Japan, visit her family with her and her friends and, right. and all that. Okay. So uh, so what is special about Shochu for you as a bartender? Uh, I mean, so for, for me, one of the things is just the diversity. It's uh it's one of those, uh, like, like many things, you sort of hear a little bit about it. Uh, a lot of, some of the myths are that it's like a Japanese vodka, which mm-hmm. there are some that are vodka-like, but it's, it really runs the gamut. Some are sort of like rums. Mm-hmm. You know, you have some that have whiskey-type aromas and flavors, and then there's just a whole lot of uniqueness mm-hmm. and, and different types that, that really don't have any parallels. So okay. it's incredibly diverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, also in strength, so mm-hmm. you know it, it's it's great working with overproof spirits. Certain cocktails mm-hmm. uh, shine very well with a really strong whiskey, but sometimes mm-hmm. you want a lower proof spirit. Mm-hmm. And shochu kind of runs the range from twenty to like forty five percent alcohol, so it really gives you a huge range, both flavors, strengths, mm-hmm. um, aging. Some are oak aged, some are not. Most right. are not. Okay, so um, I'll. I'll ask you more about the uh, specifics of uh, the shochu's basics, but uh, yeah, I, yeah. I also heard of you um, in 2012, you earned a 5,000 scholarship from Tales of the Cocktail, which is a major organization of bartenders, and the theme of your project was called uh, Shochu Beyond the Highball. Mm-hmm. So what was it? Uh, yeah, so basically, Ann and Paul Tunerman, uh, who, who are the founders and, and run Tales of the Cocktail, um, they've been very, very supportive. So there's a group of people every year called the Apprentices who uh, basically go down there. It's the CAP program, and they, they run everything. So everything behind the scenes, all the cocktails, all the events, they're responsible for, mm-hmm. for making sure that the cocktails are done correctly and the seminars run smoothly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that for two years, and... Mm-hmm. As a way to give back, Anne's created a scholarship fund. So mm. you could propose whatever idea you want. Uh, they're, they're completely open to it. Anything that you think mm. 
can can benefit the industry. So I presented shochu, something that you know, like I said, there wasn't much information about. There's still not a lot, but there's a little bit more mm. um, as a way to to learn more about it and then come and, and educate more people about it. Okay, so that was kind of a research project. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, right. so I I twice specifically went just for shochu mm. um, and visited a number of different producers and, and you know traveled obviously to many different uh, prefectures mm. to do so and, and just saw a small bit of, of just how big the shochu world mm. is. Okay, so then that's the base, the knowledge of uh, making uh, shochu cocktails now, probably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was doing a little bit of that at Izakaya Ten, and, and you know, it's something that I I try to do periodically. But it's it's uh, for sure it's uh, something completely different. Mm-hmm. You can find, like I said, similarities in Western spirits, but it can also give you a flavor profile that you don't have anywhere else. So, uh, as a bartender, that's it's a great thing to have, uh, quote unquote, a new set of flavors to work mm. with even though it's been around you know right. 500 years yeah so uh so for listeners who don't know much about shochu uh maybe you can explain what it is yeah yeah so there's there's sort of two categories there's otsurui and korui and mm. uh so one is a continuous distillation that one would be sort of more that's the korui that would be more like your vodka so that's sort of where um people got that analogy and you know it can be it can be great for cocktails tends to be a little bit more, uh, or it is more mass-produced. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And also because it continues, uh, the much, not much flavor is left. It's going to be, yeah, a little more neutral, a little bit smoother. So if you want sort of a, more of a, a blank slate to work mm-hmm. with in cocktails, it can be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so and, and the price point on it, too, is, is obviously a bit lower. Right. So the other one, Otsu, is more traditional. Right. Artisanal. So, so Honkaku, I mean, that's one thing that's amazing, too, is the sheer number of, of people making shochu in Japan. It's it's in the hundreds. So, mm. you know, when you compare it to other uh, major spirit categories, it's it's really amazing that there's all these different producers. Many of them are family-owned, many of them mm. for multi-generations. So there's, a, there's an incredibly rich history there. Mm. Uh, largely a hands-on process. Right. When, when you're talking about sweet potato, mm-hmm. they have to be processed very quickly and, and begin fermentation right, right away. Yeah, the, I heard it originally came from Thailand via Okinawa Island, which is the southern island in Japan. And that's why it showed you now uh, they mostly are made in the southern island, especially at Kyushu. Yeah, there's sort of two philosophies on that. One is that it was Thailand, Okinawa, and then reached Kyushu down mm-hmm. in the south. Uh, and the other one is that it came from Korea, mm-hmm. sort of down through like Iki Island and Nagasaki. Uh, so um, both probably have some truth. They probably sort of both mm-hmm. came about similar times. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so certainly it's it's uh, a very, very rich history. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, I actually visited one of those, uh, you know, a few of those in Kyushu, Kumamoto. There's a region called Takuma. And uh, they're really generation generations of producers, and they're so proud of what they make. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. So what about uh, the um, ingredients? Because, you know, the church is known for diversity of ingredients, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So there's, there's sort of, I would say, three main ingredients. You have uh, sweet potato, barley, and rice. Mm-hmm. Two others that are pretty prominent would be sugarcane and uh, and uh, buckwheat. Okay. And then beyond that, almost anything you can think of. Mm-hmm. So, you know, carrot, there's all kinds of crazy right. sesame. In the U.S., you'll see probably 20 different mm. base ingredients. And sometimes it'll be, 
you know, combination. Um, even with, oftentimes with, with sweet potato, mm-hmm. there'll be a bit of a rice component with, uh, with the koji. Right. Okay. So the, basically there is a, uh, the very base, the mash is made with koji, which is um, basically um, aspergillus. Yeah, yeah. So, right. so like one, thing, one thing that's, yeah, it's very unique uh, to shochu and something you see throughout uh, Japanese, both uh, beverages and cuisine, mm-hmm. is, uh, is koji. So you'll see it in miso. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's very prominent in sake as well. Right. Um, and one of the types, so there's three main types. You have a black, white, and yellow. Yellow mm-hmm. is, is what they use for sake. Mm-hmm. And then with shochu, they have the other two. They have the white and black as well. Right. So it's basically what it does is it uh, helps in the saccharification process so mm-hmm. it co- helps convert the starch to sugar right um, which is obviously a key component because you need the sugar mm-hmm. to then ferment into alcohol right and so, they also add mm-hmm. add flavors so there, there's uh, you know quite a bit of difference between the three mm. so the, to create the ba- create the base of the rice plus koji and you at yeast and other whatever the ingredients as well as, as a starch that yeah. can convert it to sugar you can do carrots or barley or anything. Like. Yeah, any of those. Water, of course. Mm, right. Yeah, the water is important. Definitely. Because right? Right? Uh, it really indicates the terroir of the region. Yeah, and definitely something that, that uh, producers take a lot of pride in. You know, mm-hmm. like you mentioned Kumamoto earlier, and they have this beautiful river. Mm. Um, it's one of the most pure rivers in Japan. Many people draw from, from underground wells that right. are, you know, located beneath beautiful mountain ranges right okay so um all right now the um you know the when you make uh you know there are the two steps right and then you have uh you have to distill so it's uh it's fermented and distilled so the, the alcohol level you said it can be very high from 20 to 45 right yeah so you know the it's the alcohol level is determined by the producer yeah, I mean, to an extent. So if you're talking the the continuous distillation, it's going to come off the still much higher, mm-hmm. but it can only legally be bottled uh, at, at the highest it can be is 35%. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Honkaku Shochu, uh, it's a single distillation. So it only it goes through a pot still mm-hmm. one time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it could come off the still probably anywhere from 36% to 45%. Mm-hmm. And then what, you know, a lot of producers do is, like like many other spirits, Western spirits, they do it all the time, where they'll add a bit of water mm. to bring it down to a lower proof. Mm. Um, one thing that's unique about shochu is it'll come down below what we're, we're accustomed to seeing. So mm. we generally see spirits in the 40, 45, you know, sometimes 50 and higher percent ranges. Mm. With shochu, you can see it anywhere from 20 to 45%. Right. Yeah, and uh, I think shochu is becoming, especially that, you know, otsu, the higher, the better quality shochu, it's becoming more popular. And do you know why? What happened? Well, I think, uh, yeah, so one, in, in Japan, it's, it's one thing that, that people have certainly latched onto. Same thing with sake. Premium sake is doing mm-hmm. well in Japan. Sake overall is not doing uh, super well. It's declining a little bit. But, but premium sake is, mm-hmm. is doing well. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think people have just, they're, they're discovering quality producers. And certainly in the U.S., it's, mm-hmm. it's growing. You know, it's still a very mm-hmm. small uh, category. But... It's just it's. I think it comes down to the rich history and, and mm. the flavors. When you taste them, they're they're. Uh, when you taste really good shochu, mm. it it can shock a lot of people. I've done that with bartenders before that mm. uh, you know sort of had the preconceived vision of it as, <laughs> as vodka and not very interesting, mm. and, and they walked away you know really really blown away by mm. 
just how diverse and and the quality mm. that so, they can represent. And probably the demand for high quality shochu increased, so the producers started to be more aware, try to make a better shochu. Perhaps. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure. Yeah, there's certainly some some modern techniques that people employ that, that mm. they haven't always done, and some people are making it the way they've made it for hundreds of years. And right, yeah, and, and you know the 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 simple, not simple, but the handmade process can mm. really show through. Right, yeah, and uh, there's one in, I would say incident, but in 2003, uh, the Japanese media started to say shochu could prevent uh, thrombosis. So just like, you know, 60 minutes, uh, the red wine became popular, you know, after 60 minutes said uh, it's good for your health in, I think, 1991. So it's the same thing happened in Japan, and the shochu became very popular. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the media helped. I There's guess. also one of those beliefs that it's uh, lower calorie, which mm. it is because it's it's lower proof. So that's another one that people said, oh, it's it's really healthy and, <laughs> and good for you. you know, that's... Right. Oh, and also the, you know, usually... Uh, We'll talk about how to drink later, but it's usually diluted, so it did a, ended up being cheaper than the other beverage, too. Yeah, I mean, hopefully people are still serving you the standard pour, whether they're adding water to it, whether it's in a cocktail or mm-hmm. whatnot. It shouldn't, shouldn't hopefully be that they're mm. giving you a smaller amount of shochu and, and more of, a, of right. water or whatever. Right, <laughs> so that they know. can taste shochu. Yeah. Right. Okay. And, uh, and also, the, there's a, I found a crazy story. So there is a popular brand called the Morizo and it really indicates how the premier brands are really becoming popular. So this uh, Morizo it retails at $30 uh, at the website but if you want to get it you have to sign up for an auction and if you get lucky you can buy it but otherwise you have to get on Japan Airlines first or business class and uh, buy it from SkyMall and I there is a black market or you know open market and uh the, i took the price it could be up to three hundred dollars so. yeah it's it's pretty amazing i mean it's like a lot of things like pappy van winkle here in america mm. um as far as sake is concerned mm. in japan there's there's certain cult producers that mm. you know no question make make absolutely great right. products but people sort of latch onto them and uh and then the market We'll we'll take it where it will take mm, it. So. Like the wine, spring uh, screaming eagle. So there's there's a reason I'm sure. Good wine, good spirits. Yeah, no question. You know, it's it's like certain Burgundy producers. Obviously, there there's very small production, and mm-hmm. if more people want those wines or shochu or whatever it is, the price is, is going to rise. Right. So, so shochu joined the group. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And uh, so I, uh, what's the aging process? Like you know, you ferment. Uh, uh, not not aging, but the fermentation. You know, you um, you have to ferment the mash, right? And I heard uh, usually they use a small ceramic pot instead of bigger, you know, big tanks. Yeah, oftentimes. I mean, some people do use stainless as well. But you'll you'll certainly see ceramic. Um, mm-hmm. It's sometimes yeah, relatively small compared mm-hmm. to really really big tanks. Sometimes they'll be uh, glass lined ceramic. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that's interesting too is that it's generally uh, a multiple stage fermentation. Mm-hmm. So you generally have two steps and then also similar to sake, um, it, it undergoes multiple parallel fermentation. Mm-hmm. So while the uh, starches are being converted to sugar, the sugar is being converted to alcohol at the same time. So that's mm-hmm. another sort of very unique mm. process. So um, it provides more complexity of the flavors because there's so many things going on. There's more byproducts. Yeah, more complexity. It can also help it reach a little bit higher alcohol content mm. that okay. way through through the fermentation process mm. before they distill it. 
Right. And also that, you know, ceramic pots, when you ferment uh, shochu, I heard uh, the taste make, makes uh, taste becomes milder. Yeah, certainly. You have, you know, you have interaction uh, with, with any sort of non-inert container, whether it's uh, uh, ceramic or wood or whatnot, mm. where you'll have both uh, oxygen interaction right. and then from the material itself mm. that, that it sort of gives and takes away from it. So, oh, right. Like, uh, I wouldn't say as much as a sherry, but some sort of... Yeah, yeah. yeah certainly, oxygen. yeah. Softer, like you said, it'll, it'll sort of round it out mm-hmm. more. Interesting. Right. And uh, do they shochu in the barrels, like whiskey? Or? There is there is a little bit of that, yeah. So that's that's one of those that uh, I think can be very interesting, uh, you know, to sort of be an intro for mm-hmm. one thing to people to say, hey, here's something that, that has some similarities to what you've tasted, whether it's scotch whiskey mm-hmm. um, or or other products. But yeah, so you're starting to see some more of that, and there's some that are that are really really interesting. Mm, okay, yeah, I asked because I, I went to uh, one of the uh, the distillers, and uh, there is a secret barrel aged thirty year old shochu, and I, I tasted it. It exactly tastes like single malt scotch, yeah, but they couldn't release it because Japanese whiskey companies made a regulation. If it's colored, shochu cannot be sold to the market because they're a strong competitor. So that means the shochu can be very high quality beverage. Yeah, it's yeah. it's that's sort of one of those funny. Rules and regulations. Now the Japanese whiskey uh, certainly needs no help. It's extremely popular. But but yeah, at one time it, it uh, that became the rule, and it's still in place today. That that shows you cannot get beyond a certain darkness. Mm. Um, which the great thing about that is that you know that there's nothing added to it. It's completely natural. And mm-hmm. and, uh, and but yeah, it's unfortunate. It'd be pretty fun to to yeah. try that thirty year old shochu. <laughs> right. So. All right, so now let's take a quick break here, and uh, when we come back, we'll talk about shochu, how to taste shochu, and shochu cocktails. Excellent. So please stay with us. National Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting-edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef's Story. Check out our ICC website at InternationalCulinaryCenter.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats, broadcasting live from a studio in Bolshevik, Brooklyn. 
I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, and my guest today is Brian Mathis, who is a former head bartender at Lou Bernadan,、uh, brand ambassador for Great King Street and Compass Sparks Whiskies, and he also serves creative cocktails at Coke Buzz Wine Studio and Gander near Union Square.、Um, we talked about what shoji is, so let's talk about its taste. Um, actually, Brian brought、uh, a couple bottles of shochu to the studio so we can just go through what they are and then can describe the flavors. Yeah, yeah, I thought it'd be fun for us to, to taste it since we're actually talking about it. So、uh, I brought a few different ones. Like I said, there's a, there's a huge variety. We could easily taste 20 different shochu and,、mm. and not really、uh, repeat stuff. So,、uh, like we said, the, the base material obviously can come into play, the type of koji. Uh, we actually didn't talk about there's two different types of distillation. There's regular atmospheric distillation, and then、mm. there's a re- reduced pressure distillation.、Mm-hmm. And what they're trying to do there, they'll actually get the alcohol to boil at a lower temperature through、mm. a vacuum,、uh, and it will sort of preserve more delicate aromas. So、mm. if it's reduced pressure, it's generally going to be a little bit lighter, a little more delicate. And if it's normal pressure,、uh, you know, it can run the gamut from.、Mm. Kind of normal to kind of pretty earthy and, and、mm-hmm. funky. Right. So the higher pressure one is more rustic than the original, and then、uh, lower pressure is more modern style. Yeah, but, but rustic in a good way because some, some of your really prized shochu、mm-hmm. out there are, are atmospheric pressure distillation. So by no means is it,、uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a, they're both great techniques. It doesn't mean that the, the vacuum right. is better.、Okay. <laughs> right. So. Um, so, the first one is from Takahashi Shuzo. So, you mentioned earlier、uh, Kumamoto.、Mm-hmm. So, this is in the Kuma Valley,、uh, and this is going to be a rice shochu. So, one thing that's really cool about this is that it, it sort of they use a ginjo sake yeast.、Mm-hmm. So, for somebody that's familiar with sake, when you nose this and taste it,、mm-hmm. it has that similarity to it.、Mm-hmm. Um, so, you kind of know right away、uh, familiarity. So, you'll have certain fruit aromas.、Mm-hmm. Floral aromas,、mm-hmm. uh, it is higher in alcohol, so 25%. You know, most、uh, sake are going to be、uh, 15%, 16%.、Mm. Some can get as high as, as 19%, 20%, 21%.、Mm-hmm. But,、uh, but yeah, so this distilled, obviously.、Mm. And if you want to nose it, taste a little bit. <laughs> sure, I can smell that. So the, the name of、uh, the shochu is Shiro. That means、Shiro. white. Yeah, yeah.、Right. So it's,、uh, it's white koji in this case.、Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to taste, we'll taste all three different types of koji. Sure. But so you can really sort of tell that it's, you know, it has、uh, a fruitiness and,、mm-hmm. and a lightness, both、right. on the, the aroma and the palate.、Mm-hmm. So the la- label is in Japanese, actually all in Japanese. And this is a modern silver label. And. Yeah, it's beautiful. You can just put it in your shelf. Yeah, I mean,、enjoy. that's there's no question that the Japanese do packaging extremely, extremely well. And,、mm. and some of the labels go back hundreds of years, and some are more modern, but they're, they're all beautiful.、Right. You know? Okay, so the next one. So the next one, we're going to do、uh, a lighter style of emo or sweet potato. So this、mm-hmm. one is Tomino Hozon.、Mm-hmm. And、uh, so this one's a, a、uh, yellow koji,、mm-hmm. and it does both. Atmospheric and regular pressure、mm-hmm. distillation.、Mm-hmm. So,、uh, yeah, this one's really interesting because it's, it's sweet potato, which t e n d to be a little bit earthier.、Mm-hmm. I mean, you can get a ton of different flavors and aromas. Right. And this is just the, you know, in Japan, I think emo is potato, sweet potato, shoju is very popular. Extremely, And, yeah. I mean, I think、mm-hmm. for beginners,、uh, people say it's very strong, but once you get it, 
it gets addictive. Yeah, for sure. So if if it was your first shochu experience, um, it, the the previous one would be a great one to start with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like it. Depends on who it is. So when when we're, we're talking bartenders or whatnot, uh, a lot of them really love emo. They love sweet potato because mm-hmm. it's you know it's complex and and earthy and really interesting. Right. Um, and this one, you know, you can. I think it. It's not super pungent, so I think it's it mm. is approachable. Right, sweeter yes, flavor. Yeah, definitely. Right. So the name of the shochu is uh, Takarayama. That means uh, treasure mountain. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my <laughs> Japanese is is still not 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 good. <laughs> well, but you know, it's everything's um, in Japanese and Japanese style label. So does that attract? American consumers, maybe? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's one of those, some people are doing a better job with the back label, mm-hmm. uh, which is always important. Like, I don't think you should change the front label. Mm-hmm. For, you know, the, the, sometimes there'll be uh, Roman lettering, so English at the bottom, mm-hmm. but then you'll still have the, the, the kanji up top, which I think is important. It's, that's, mm-hmm. you know, how it is in kanji Japan. Kanji is a Japanese character, right. Yeah. So, uh, is there any uh, back label, some ideas that... So, some of them, yeah. Some give more information than others, certainly, but you'll, mm-hmm. you'll always have the name. Uh, it's similar, sort of, with, with mm-hmm. Nihonshu or with sake. Right. There's so, you some... can just guess what the ingredients are. That's, like, for sweet potato and this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you this one, you know, if you go to the right stores, they should certainly be able to tell you what's in it. But uh, mm-hmm. looking at it... Oh, it says emo on the back. Okay. Yeah. Great. All right. So then. next we're going to do a uh, mugi or barley shochu. This one is uh, a little more fully flavored. That's why I mm-hmm. decided to do it after the Tomino Hozam. Okay. Um, so this one is also unfiltered. This one's called Art Jakunbaku, mm-hmm. um, and it's from Nishi Yoshida in Fukuoka. So we didn't – I don't know if I talked. The last one uh, was from Kagoshima. Mm-hmm. This one's from Fukuoka Prefecture, mm. so uh, a little bit north on the island of Kyushu. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this one, so yeah, so unfiltered. So you'll really get sort of a richness here. Right. Yeah, you can definitely smell um, the green, you know, the barley. Absolutely, right? yeah. Wow. So that's the yellow koji? No, the black koji? Or? So this one is black. Okay. Yeah. Now that's why it's more... So you'll Robust. get yeah, you get sort of a richer, uh, darker flavor, mm. if you will, from right. from black koji. Mm. There's like a chocolate nose. Yeah, that stays for sure. Like to come to my nose. I think it might even say that. If not on the back label, it definitely says that somewhere in the tasting notes. Mm. But yeah, yeah, for sure. You get sort of a, a chocolate toffee. Amazing flavor. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like a whiskey almost. Yeah, for sure. Right. So in this case, unaged. I didn't actually bring one that that is oak aged. Um, we can certainly do that in the future. Right. Because that is that that can be a, a, a really interesting addition mm. to the flavor profile. Okay, and the last one? The last one, so this one is uh, also from Fukuoka. Sorry, also from Fukuoka. Mm-hmm. Um, this one is a sweet potato mm-hmm. called Jinku okay. from Kitaya. Mm-hmm. And uh, this particular one that I brought is uh, is a Genshu. So the undiluted. Undiluted. So the one they sell here is a little bit uh, lower in alcohol. This one's a little bit higher. So, so I brought what, this one back. What's the Japan. alcohol level of the last one? This one is 40. Okay. Yeah, it's 40%. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so, you know, a little bit more in line with what we see mm-hmm. in the U.S. But like I said, that's that shouldn't be a, a concern for people, the alcohol percentage. because. Right. In Japan, most of them are are twenty five percent. You know, that's 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 one mis- misperception that some people have had is that mm. oh, 
they're sending us uh, a lower proof spirit of what they have at home, but that's definitely not the case. Hmm. Okay, so usually, how do you drink shoju? Say you go to a store and get a nice bottle of shoju, what's your recommendation? So, I mean, it really depends on, on how you like to drink spirits mm-hmm. in general. I mean, we've, we've been sipping these neat, and mm-hmm. uh, I think you'd, you'd agree, at room temperature, they're delicious at room temperature. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few different ways they do it in Japan. Uh, one is mizuari, so with water. Mm-hmm. And, you know, an- another one, so you sort of mentioned earlier, shochu beyond the highball. Um, mm-hmm. You'll see highballs or chuhai. Mm-hmm. Um, chuhai is even sold in cans in Japan. Mm-hmm. So chuhai, be- by the way, the, you know, the whiskey and soda is a highball in, here in America, but uh, chuhai is uh, the uh, shochu plus other beverage. Yeah. Right? So I think the Santori, you know, the company that was featured in the Wilson translation in the movie, that be- uh, created the boom of chuhai. Yeah. For so, sure, for yeah, sure. Yeah, all the years ago. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you get them with, with soda and then different mm-hmm. flavorings. Um, but, yeah, so that's one way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oyuari with hot water is mm-hmm. another way. You mix it with hot water. Mm-hmm. Uh, another traditional way is called Maiwari, where they mix it with water previously, so maybe a, a few days ahead of time, generally in an earthenware mm-hmm. uh, pot, and mm-hmm. it'll sit for a few days. The idea being that it will sort of marry with the water mm-hmm. and create a more integrated flavor profile. Right. And with some milk oxygen. Yeah, of course, of course, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and then, I mean, cocktails are, are uh, like I said, a huge category to play with. Just, mm. just all these different flavor profiles from the base materials, the different koji, the different types of yeast, mm. different aging techniques. Right. So, so, you know, that characteristics, you know, compared to other spirits, what, how, how do you use shochu? You know, you have, like, a lot of choices in front of you, I'm sure, always. But you pick shochu for certain reasons? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's whatever spirit you're using, you want to make sure, or really whatever ingredient goes into a cocktail, you want to make sure that it, that it shows in that cocktail. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, if you're doing something with, with, say, the first one, which is a little bit lighter style, you can mm-hmm. certainly do a lighter style aperitif cocktail with that. Mm-hmm. That would be delicious. Uh there's a lot of classic sort of interpretations. Take a classic cocktail mm. and just swap shochu for whether it's whiskey, um, whether it's tequila, whether it's gin, mm. uh, rum. You could plug it in. Mm-hmm. And then all kinds of other unique uh, ingredients. There's, there's, I mean, there's a tremendous number of Japanese ingredients mm. that I've used both with Western spirits and, right. and Japanese ingredients as well. Mm. It must be interesting because, you know, compared to vodka, for instance, you have a lot of flavors, potatoes, barley. Like, we just even, by smelling, you can tell the diversity. Yeah, So sure. it may be challenging, but uh, fun for bartenders. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, for, for bartenders, it's great because it's a whole, like I said, quote-unquote new mm-hmm. set of flavors to, to work with and, and play around with. And, right. You know. Yeah. And uh, how, like, can you just give me some examples of cocktails that you made with shochu? Yeah, so one that I've done, uh, actually, with, with Tomino Hozon, I did one with, uh, with dashi, which was pretty unique. So it was originally something uh-huh. that I did to go alongside uh, tequila called a sangrita, and I sort of adapted that uh, to go with, uh, with the emo shochu. So uh, I did yuzu. So yuzu is a, a great citrus from Japan, mm. really unique flavors. Uh, a little togarashi, which provides spice. Yeah, and, and just a little chili pepper. Yeah, a little heat, and there's some sesame and stuff in it. Uh, so, yeah, and then dashi, which which it's very interesting. We left uh, one shochu producer mm-hmm. in, uh, in Kagoshima, 
And I walked outside and I said, wow, it smells like, uh, like dashi or katsuoboshi. Mm, so dashi and basically, usually it's a combination of uh, flavor, like umami elements. That's the fifth savory taste, the bonito flake and the kombu cooked together. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing, right? Yeah, so, so in this dashi. place there was uh, mm. a bonito factory mm. right next door. Huh. And, uh, you know, so that sort of gave me the idea of pairing those together. So dashi is one of those, you know, it's that the great stock of Japan. And, uh, you know, I wasn't trying to be weird or, or kitschy or anything with it. Mm. But when you get a really great dashi, you can you can drink it by itself. And right. it's just it's an, this amazing flavor. Mm. So in, in the case of that cocktail, I paired it with, you know, a little bit of acidity from the yuzu and mm. some grenadine and the spice. And it worked out. Because, like, really you know, well. there's a bacon boom in cocktails. You can find bacon, even ice cream. There's a bacon ice cream sure, a couple yeah. years ago here in New yeah, York. Yeah, yeah. So it's the same idea. Savory thing works in cocktails. Yeah, I think it's, in that case, doing something savory. You know, I've done it with, with coconut and like a brown butter syrup for something a little bit richer, a little bit sweeter. Mm. Um, all kinds of other stuff. Different sodas. Uh, umeshu. I've done umeshu in cocktails. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, like, yeah, like, which works out great. Right. Wow. So, sounds like you can just do whatever you want to do. Yeah, yeah. I like... mean, many, many choices and options. Mm-hmm. No question. Right. Okay. So, uh, I also understand you had a organized shochu tasting events in yeah, the past. Yes. So, is that for the trade or consumers or both? Generally trade-focused so far. Um, yeah, I've done a couple. I did one in the fall and, and one uh, early winter. Mm-hmm. Which was great. So those were all were all focused at trade, whether it's you know bartenders, sommeliers, other buyers, or media, mm-hmm. um, which which was great to sort of. Mm-hmm. Again, I think it's new to a lot of people. So uh, if if we can get those people educated about it first, it will help uh, ultimately trickle down to mm-hmm. to consumers. And but yeah, I'd, I'd certainly love to do more with uh, with consumers as well. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's it's one of those categories. Once people taste it. Mm-hmm. They really, really see that the diversity and everything is something that they can mm. fall in love with. Right. So, the how did they react? The guests of the events. Yeah. No. People, uh, I think, are always a little bit surprised about the variety, for one thing, because mm. uh, you know when you when you don't have a ton of information about it, and maybe you hear the vodka rumor, you think it's going to be a little bit more neutral and more simple. But then when you taste, you know, 10 or 15 different shochu, and, you know, we saw here tasting four different ones, mm. that it's just a huge variety. So people were, were, were really positive about it. Mm. And in, in both cases, we also did some cocktails as well. So that's, mm. I think, also a great way to show people that, you know, not, not everybody likes to drink spirits by themselves. They mm. want, you know, cocktails are obviously hugely popular. So it's a great way for people to, uh, to experience shochu. And, right. Yeah, and it sounds like because you visited uh, distillers, you are more even more impressed. So, do you think some uh, distilleries are open to the public? Like, you know, say, if I was listening to this program, and then, oh, let's just go to Japan, and then let's visit the distillery. Is it possible? Yeah, there's no question. Some of them, you know, have regularly organized uh, tours that they'll give. it, I think it's maybe a little bit more established in the, the sake and Nihonshu world mm-hmm. at the moment than it is in, in Shochu. But, uh, you know, sometimes language can be a, can be a barrier. Mm. But I think if, you know, for sure, if you, if you reach out to people, mm-hmm. um, there's, there's a number of, of distilleries that would be more than happy to have people mm. visit. Okay, that's great. And uh, by the way, um, what's the recommendation for uh, liquor stores or bars for Shochu here in New York? 
Oh, so yeah, so um, Sakaya, which is a, is a great sake store, they have mm-hmm. it as well. In East Village. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Astro Wine and Spirits, mm. which is, you know, on, on Lafayette. Uh, Landmark mm-hmm. is also another very good one. Right. Um, and then bars, I mean, most sake bars also have some, some shochu as well. So mm. if you go to sake-specific bars, there's, there's one particular shochu bar that I know of called Ume Noi mm-hmm. in East mm-hmm. Village. Okay. Um, so yeah, there's... There's a, you know, most Japanese restaurants are going to have a few. And mm. there's there's even some non-Japanese restaurants are starting to branch out. Hmm, so that's hopefully we'll see more of that. Right. Yeah, and also like the uh, Ambassador Wines in the Midtown yes, sells about like 30 shochu. Yeah. And they have like 200 sakes. Like that. Yeah, right. great, great spot. Right, yeah. Well, the... By the way, um, have you been to uh, uh, cocktail bars in Japan? Because you brought you know, I um, I heard the cultural differences quite huge between American bars and Japanese cocktail bars. Yeah, I mean, I think certainly uh, it's changing a little bit as there's more and more interaction uh, between bartenders from all over the world, which is which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, traditionally, I would say that they were more sort of elegant. They were very very focused on on presentation. So watching a Japanese bartender work was was absolutely beautiful. Mm. Just the, you know, their movements and very clean, very precise. Um, very focused on classics. They did classics mm. extremely extremely well. But you know, some of the younger guard Japanese bartenders are are super super creative as well and and doing some really really cool interesting stuff. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I, I think in Japan if you go to restaurant Usually, there's no waiting bar, so people go to a cocktail bar before or after dinner, and then, you know, you open the door, there's, like, dark, really classic ambience, and the yeah. people quiet, and uh, it's really fun, you know, it's a totally different experience. Yeah, oftentimes, a little bit smaller. You know, we certainly have some bars in New York that are, that are pretty small, but mm-hmm. some of the ones in Japan can be, can be really, really small, maybe, right. like, eight, ten seats, and, mm-hmm. which is great, because you get you know, a, a one-on-one experience mm-hmm. almost with, with right. the bartender. So it's, uh, it's a, it can be very personalized. Right, and, and yeah. they carve ice for you by yes. hand. Yes, yes. So that's, <laughs> we're starting to see more of that in the States, but uh, certainly the, the clear ice, mm-hmm. Japanese have been doing it for, for years and years. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, and also they, uh, sometimes they wear tuxedos. You know, yes, yes. <laughs> Again, the, yeah, the elegance uh, is, is fantastic. Right, yeah. Okay. So, anyways, uh, thank you so much for joining us today, Brian, and uh, thank you for tasting Tasty Chochu. My pleasure, my pleasure. So, uh, listeners, if you'd like to know more about Brian, uh, Brian's cocktails, or any advice about cocktails, please visit um, his uh, Facebook page, uh, Brian Mathis. That's uh, Brian, M-A-T-T-H-Y-S. And uh, if you have any questions or comments, please contact us at heritageradionetwork.org. And you can also reach me at akikokatayama.com. Japan Eats is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org. I'll see you next week. Listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. 
Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.